You're listening to Guitars and Granola Bars, episode 42. Thank you so much for joining me here on Guitars and Granola Bars, Music Therapists Talk Motherhood. I'm your host, Rachel Rambach, and this podcast is for music therapists and anyone else balancing a passion-fueled career with being a mom. This podcast is sponsored by Serenade Designs. Serenade Designs is owned by Julie Palmieri, a board-certified music therapist. Julie helps her fellow music therapists create, enhance, and rock their online presence. Through Julie's website design services, social media and online marketing services, and virtual assistance, she's here to help you rock your online presence while making it all feel effortless. She assists music therapists in having a strong representation on the web so that they can focus on working in the field they love, music therapy. Julie understands what it's like being a busy business owner as well as a mom. You can learn more about how Julie can help you with your online presence at www.serenade-designs.com. In this episode, I'm chatting with Jody Ross. Jody is a 2010 graduate of Mississippi University for Women, where she received her bachelor's degree in music therapy. She completed her internship at the Badur Center, a residential facility for adults with intellectual disabilities in Senatobia, Mississippi. In May 2011, she married her husband, Cody, and in July of that same year, she began working as the board-certified music therapist at the Badur Center. Jody has continued to work there as well as serve as internship director over the past four years. In March of this year, Jody and Cody welcomed their firstborn son, Griffin. They also have a three-year-old fur baby, a basset hound named Dixie. Jody, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. So let's start by you giving us some background about your career and how you became a music therapist. Okay. Um, I graduated from Mississippi University for Women in 2010, and I went to intern at the Badur Center in Senatobia, Mississippi um, from May that year to November. And Badur Center is a residential facility for adults with intellectual disabilities. Um, and soon after I completed my internship, I was hired there as the music therapist, and I began working there in July of 2011, and I've been there ever since. Uh, not only do I do music therapy there, but I oversee the performing and creative arts department. I direct the drama and creative movement teams, and I'm also the internship director. So you're pretty busy there, it sounds like. Very busy. Yeah. And do you have a music therapy staff, or is it just you? It is solely me. And your intern when you have And my intern. That's right. Wow. So how long did it take from the point where you were the intern there to becoming the sole music therapist and internship director? It was about uh, six months or so. Um, When I completed my internship, I was still part of um, the staff. I was a part-time rec staff, which assists with the um, activities there on Monday and Friday nights. Um, And I would travel um, from my hometown, which is about two and a half hours away, um, to come work there on the weekends um, to keep my keep uh, being employed there at the facility. And then um, when the music therapist at the time um, left, I was able to get hired. So that was really good timing that she was leaving and that you were 
looking for a job at that point. Right. Nice. Did you feel like you were ready to become an internship director so quickly after being an intern yourself? Um, I questioned that a little bit. Um, they wanted to keep the internship program going. Um, and our internship is a university-affiliated internship. Um, so I went through the training at conference that year. Um, and I felt that after going through that, I was uh, pretty prepared. Um, and actually, my first intern and I um, came from the same university. Uh, so I'd actually had some classes with her. Uh, so that was a neat experience um, and having to separate, you know, being professional and having a relationship already. Um, that was interesting. But um, I, after that first initial internship, I felt like I was even uh, even more prepared. Yeah. And I can imagine that being so close in age and um, having been through your studies, you know, around the same time as your interns probably works out to both of your advantages because you know more or you can kind of understand where your interns are coming from and they probably feel like they can relate to you as a relatively new professional too. Exactly. I think we still have some of the um, the same kind of concerns, you know, as far as our um, professional, you know, skills and um, also, you know, that we're still kind of on the same, we're in the same generation. So it's not a generation gap of knowing different, you know, for example, you know, cassettes and versus CDs or (laughs) CDs versus, you know, podcasts of we're all kind of on the same level. And, um, but even now, like I'm starting to notice that the students that I'm getting, there is kind of a more of a gap now. And I kind of like that too, because it's a little bit easier to separate myself um, from, you know, being a professional and being a student. So yeah, it is, it is really important to have those lines between, you know, an intern, intern and an intern supervisor and director. And um, I know for me, that's been interesting. I've been through um, two different internship supervision experiences. The first was um, when I was relatively new out of school and my intern was quite a bit older than me. So that was a really interesting dynamic. And now my current intern is um, just completing her bachelor's. So she's, you know, the, the usual age for that most interns are out of their undergraduate studies. Um, so it's been kind of fun to see the different dynamics evolve um, between intern and internship director. And um, it's something that I really enjoy. I can imagine that you do too. Oh, yes, for sure. And I love being able to be a part of the, you know, their professional growth. Um, and I look at, you know, internship is not so much as from a teacher perspective, although I do teach, you know, a few things to them and give guidance. But I feel like I'm being a part of shaping them as who they are as a professional. And that's really rewarding. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think back to my internship and that was really where I felt like, okay, now I can call myself a music therapist and I feel like one as opposed to, you know, the student or the music therapist in training. Um, It's such an important time in your career. And um, so, yeah, I think that that's such a great feeling to know that you're really helping shape their career. Right. Yeah. So you also, the same year that you started working at the Bedour Center, got married. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So probably was a little bit of a stressful and overwhelming year, I can imagine. It was really a a stressful and exciting year. Um, We actually got engaged uh, the the month that I started my internship. 
Um, he was uh, working away. So we were, he was in um, New Orleans at the time. So that was about a good six, seven hours apart from each other. Um, and so that way, it kind of was a security while we were, uh, while I was away and he was away. <laughs> um, and uh, anyway, got through internship and then was able to focus on um, the wedding. And we got married exactly a year later from that point. So it was a lot of, you know, having to balance internship and wedding planning on top of that. So it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. So did you have some downtime or did things kind of settle down after you got married and started to settle into your new position? Yes, things were definitely less stressful. Um, He was still working away at the time. Um, So that was still challenging, um, being newlyweds and, you know, not being together. Um, But it also kind of, I think, helped me in the long run to get settled into my position and not have to think about, you know, coming home and cooking dinner and those kinds of things that a wife does. But, you know, going to work and focusing on that and then coming home and can still kind of like think about my work day and have some time for myself. So that that was helpful. Yeah. How long did he work away from you? He um, worked away for the per- the first um, six to seven months of our marriage, and he was able to come home January of 2012. He was able to get a job um, in our hometown, and he's been working there ever since. So, And then again, that was a different challenge, too, after being away um, from one another for so long. And then finally, we we're over oh, together. <laughs> so <laughs> that was do. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. How often did you see each other when he was away? It was about every other weekend. Sometimes it would be like once a month, but most of the time every other weekend. Wow, that's tricky, and especially as a newlywed, I can imagine that would be kind of hard. It was. It was hard, but, you know, we we got through it, and we looked at, you know, counting down the days till he got to come home, you know, and we got to see each other, and so it was great, like I said, you know, because it helped me. Focus on focus on work and get into that groove, and then focus on you know him when he was at home. So right, right, nice. So, at what point did you start thinking about expanding your family? Well, not until um, probably I would say like a two two and a half years after we were married. Kid, our uh, friends started having kids. You know, we kind of started getting the baby fever a little bit. Um, and actually, he more so had baby fever than I did at first because um, I was like, oh, there's still things I want to do with my life. I don't want to give that up just yet. Um, and, uh, you know, the more we thought about it and we prayed about it, you know, we just felt kind of like it was the right thing to do. Um, we felt like that was the next step for us. You know, it started out with we bought a new car. We got an SUV. So we upgraded from my little four-door sedan and uh we went to the SUV and so we were preparing, did things to the house um, that we wanted to do to get ready for children. Um, and so we were just, you know, started trying and if it worked out, we were very, you know, carefree about it. If we got pregnant, then that was great. If we didn't, that was great too. We we're just going to kind of just go with it. And um, this past March, uh, we had our firstborn son, Griffin. So oh, that's so nice and so smart the way that you really tried to get your ducks in a row before having, or before, I guess, launching into that whole next period. It is a big life change, as I'm sure you now realize. Yes. Um, so what was your pregnancy like, and did you continue working during it? I did continue working. Um, actually, my pregnancy was fairly easy. Um, I never really experienced morning sickness. Um, 
it was very easy compared to what a lot of people, you know, told me, oh, expect this, you know, you're going to go through this. And I I really didn't. And I really didn't gain a lot of weight either with my pregnancy. It was really just baby. Um, So that was nice in the long run. Um, But um, I guess labor and delivery was probably the worst part of the experience. Um, I had a really long labor um, I really had a really big baby. Griffin weighed nine six, um, wow. and I had him naturally. <laughs> wow! Uh, yes. So, um, but anyway, um, but it was fairly easy, and I worked all up into um, the week before um, I was, you know, going to have him, and I actually had to be induced uh, the following after the due date. So, okay. Did you experience any challenges as far as your work went? Is is your work pretty strenuous or would you say it's more low key physically? Um, it's low key physically. I think the the biggest challenge I faced while working while being pregnant was I had an intern at the time as well. Um, and pregnancy brain, uh, regardless what people think, it is a real thing. Oh, it's so real. <laughs> it's so real. Um, and I had so much of it. Um, and it was just a challenge to remember like things that I had to do plus things that I had to do for my intern and scheduling. And, um, I had a lot of amniotic fluid, um, a more, uh, abnormal amount, I guess, um, and so I had to go to a lot more doctor's appointments than normal and have a lot more ultrasounds, um, which was nice. I got to see Griffin quite a bit during the pregnancy. Um, but at the same time, it caused me to miss work a lot. So that was, you know, having to reschedule sessions or put um, other assignments on my intern that she normally wouldn't have had. Um, so that was difficult. Yeah. Did you feel like that pregnancy brain stuck around after Griffin was born? Or did yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't think um, it really ever fully goes away, honestly. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. It is it is definitely a real thing, though. And it's challenging, especially when you're in a leadership role and you have an intern that you're training and, you know, you're the professional that they're looking up to. And it's it can be hard to um, to really stay on track professionally when you have those other challenges going on. Exactly. And there's a lot of times I have to, you know, I tell my intern now, okay, remember this and this for me, because I'm going to say I'm going to remember that, but I may not. So just remember that for me. (laughs) Oh, I know. I know. I'm, I'm like now, if I don't write things down, they don't happen. Exactly. So after Griffin was born, what was maternity leave like? I was out, um, from work for about eight weeks. Um, and I could have been out for the full 12. Um, but I decided to go back just for financial reasons. And I was getting to that point where I was ready to go back to work. I, um, knew that Griffin was going to have to go to daycare and I was going to have to, you know, get over those guilty feelings of taking him somewhere else and not staying home with him. Um, but I needed to do that for me and I needed to get back in a routine, um, because I had been out of it for, you know, eight weeks. So it was time I was ready. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a, an interesting split between people who are kind of like dragging their feet to get back to work. And then those that are like, okay, I need something like very stable and a more structured schedule and, it's, um, yeah, I, I fell into the same camp as you where it was like, okay, I need to have my days, you know, normal and know what to look forward to each one of those days. Um, it's easy to get, kind of get a little bit lost during maternity leave and 
sort of flounder through your days. And you right. know, with a newborn, they don't have a schedule. You're still trying to figure things out. And so it can be challenging. It was. And it just seemed like, you know, looking back, I'm like, what did I do during those eight weeks? Because <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't remember what I did other than sleep when he tried, you know, or tried to sleep when he slept and, right. you know, took care of him. But that, I mean, I don't really remember that time. So yeah, it's all kind of a blur, those first right. weeks, especially with your first when, you know, this is completely new to you and you don't know what the heck is going on. Exactly. <laughs> so what was your return to work like? Um, well, uh, it was fairly easy in transitioning. Um, like I said, Griffin went to daycare, um, and my intern had finished up and the intern that I had, um, while I was on, um, or while I was pregnant, um, she finished up in, uh, February. And so she actually was able to come back and fill in, um, for me while I was out on maternity leave. So that was nice. And when I got back, Things were already kind of taken care of and planned. So it was just me having to fall back into your routine and, um, you know, just figure out where I needed to start That's um, with, really as far nice. as individual sessions and that kind of thing. So. Yeah. And how did Griffin adapt to daycare? He adapted well. Um, actually, the um, babysitter tells me that he's the best baby she's ever kept, which Aww. I'm not sure. She probably tells that to everyone. But... <laughs> Um, he's fairly, you know, an easy child. Uh, he's pretty happy all the time. Um, so that helps. And he, um, has never cried when I've left him. Not yet anyway. So I think he loves it. So that makes me, you know, a little bit easier to leave him. <laughs> yeah, that's so nice. That make definitely makes a big difference for the mom. Cause I feel like that's a lot of times it's harder for the parents than it is for the child. Yes. The first day was difficult. I was like, uh, and he actually, um, goes to a daycare. It's in a lady's home and she lives just right behind uh, the facility where I work. So I literally drop him off and drop two seconds to work. And so I'm like, Oh, can I come visit during lunch break? You know, Aww, and, uh, she's so like, nice. well, that's, <laughs> she's like, well, it's actually nap time during oh. that time. So we probably shouldn't. And but that was great because it gave me that, okay, all right, I gotta stay at work. I can't go visit, you know. Right. So it helped with the transition. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So did you have to make any changes at all to your career and to your work schedule in order to factor in being a mom? Um, there were a few changes, not anything drastic. Um, one of the uh one of the days that I work on Thursdays is my late day at work. Um, and I knew that going into it, that's the way it's always been, even since before I um, interned. That was the late day to have classes in the afternoons. Um, used to, it was like from um, 11 to like 9. And when I um, got the job, I kind of tweaked that and made it more like 10 to 8. And even now, after Griffin, it's been tweaked to like 9 to 6 um, or 10 to 7. Um some days, just depending on what events we have going on. But um, that was the only thing I really had to kind of figure out because I didn't want to be um, gone so late, you know, and get home. And then it's time for Griffin to go to bed. And I didn't see him but that morning when I, before I took him to daycare and then that night when I got home. So that was really the only thing I had to change just to kind of make it work a little better for me. Yeah, yeah. It's hard when you're away from them all day and then – on those late days, I know because I work late too, that it's like you you finally get to see them at the end of the day and then it's bedtime. So right. That can be tough. Yes. But it's nice that you only have one day like that and that you were able to make it a little bit earlier. 
Right. Um, we recently um, did our play um, that we work on. We have an annual play every year at Bedour, and uh, we just had our performances this past weekend. Um, and so for like the past two weeks, I've had to work late every night um, for play rehearsals and getting things ready for the performances. Um, so that was challenging. But thankfully, my husband stepped up to the plate and he's been a great, done a great job at taking care of Griffin and being there when I had to be at work. So That is nice. Yeah. So what do you find to be the biggest challenges aside from just um, the logistics of your schedule when it comes to being a working mom? Uh, I think really the the hardest thing I deal or most difficult thing is just feeling guilty. Um, I have to, you know, realize that I do have to work. That's just part of it. Um, and, you know, how I wish I could stay home with Griffin. That's just not going to happen. Um, and just realizing that, you know, hey, I am providing for my family and this is what I have to do. And, you know, I do have to spend less time with Cody and with Griffin at times. But, you know, in the long run, it's it's benefiting us. So that's the way I kind of have to look at it. Um, but that's just part of my job. So, yeah, yeah. I think that the first year especially is an adjustment with, you know, kind of figuring out the new your new relationships um, as you've become a mom and have these two huge things on your plate, you have a child now, you have a job and they're very, they're both very demanding of your time and attention. So it's kind of like restructuring your life to make it all work. Right. And, you know, at work and even like with clients, you know, they're, they're wanting your attention and, you know, you have those issues with them that you're working on or, you know, dealing with. And then, you get home and you have to separate from the work issues to the home issues. And sometimes, you know, that's really hard. Yeah, it definitely can be. Exactly. What would you say are some of the most fulfilling aspects? Well, I would say um, knowing that, like I said, being I'm providing for them, I'm helping to take care of my family through working. Um, and then I have, you know, coming home to my husband and Griffin to look forward to each day. Um, that helps me to just keep going through the work day. But, you know, um, at my facility, thankfully, it's very, we're really like a family where I work. Um, and they're very open to involving your your family and coming to events and being there for different things. And uh, so I'm glad that I have that opportunity where I work that Griffin will be introduced to, pe- to persons with intellectual disabilities and other disabilities. So hopefully as he grows and is around, these people, he'll um, learn to accept them and not be afraid and will grow up, you know, having that knowledge of these people are really cool. So, yeah, I love that you bring up that point because that's something that I think about too. Um, My son spends a lot of time at my work and we also work with a lot of children that have special needs and different kinds of disabilities and challenges. And for him, you know, that's just completely normal. Like, you know, he has friends and he sees kids that have all kinds of different abilities and that's completely normal to him. So I love that he's most likely going to be grow up to be a lot more open-minded for that reason. Right. Yeah. So we always talk about self-care and the fact that, you know, if we're not taking care of ourselves, then we can't take good care of our clients. What kinds of things do you do to provide self-care to yourself? I love to craft. Um, I like to paint and make picture frames, um, anything that I can paint and, you know, refix, uh, make it shabby chic. I love 
distressing uh, different, you know, pieces, wood pieces. So that I find that a lot of fun. And I like to exercise, too, and go for walks. Um, and when I do find a spare moment, I enjoy writing songs. I've actually wrote a song for Griffin um, that I hope to one day record and be able to say for him. So Very cool. And with your crafting, you have, or you did, I know at one time, um, didn't you have a business or an Etsy um store yeah that? I have a um I actually have a Facebook page it's oh, J okay. Ross designs um and I kind of just did I did that kind of as a way to just kind of like put my stuff out there and I've sold a little bit um uh, a few of my items um but yeah I just kind of did it you know as gifts and um if anybody needs anything I, I do make things for people I've had a couple of orders yeah, I've seen some of the things that you post on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm always so impressed because I am not crafty whatsoever. <laughs> like my my um, friend, we have a like a mom baby group that I'm a part of, and this week she's hosting a little um, crafting party with all of our kids, and so they're all posting these amazing craft projects that they're planning to do, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I need to figure something out. I need to go on Pinterest. Yes, Pinterest is my friend. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah, Pinterest is great, especially for those of us who are um, challenged when it comes to crafting. <laughs> yeah. What kind of advice would you give to fellow music therapists, especially those who are newly pregnant or just became moms? Well, I was thinking about this question um, because I was like, what can I, what kind of advice would I be able to give? I'm just a new mom. I mean, Griffin's only said. So what could I even offer as advice? But thinking, I would have to say, you know, there's multiple, um, you know, resources that suggest parenting this way or parenting that way or doing this, you know, or toying with, do you breastfeed? Do you bottle feed? You know, do you, I don't know, all these different suggestions of how to raise your child. And we have all these different techniques and all these different styles for music therapy. And we all find our niche in that and what works best for us. And so I would um, give the advice that, you know, just like there's different styles of music therapy and you find that what works for you in your um, clinical, you know, practice, find that parenting style that works for you and, and embrace it. And don't worry whether someone's doing something differently or, or that you might be doing something wrong because if it's working for you, then it's probably the right thing to do. Yeah, I think that is perfect advice for music therapists because I know that we are all as professionals so um, so welcoming to the different styles that our colleagues have and the different approaches that they take. And I think that we should be that same way with parenting, like you said, and I think that there's so much out there about how parents can be so judgmental and there's all of these different, you know, implied ways that you should be parenting or that you shouldn't. But right. It's just like music therapy. That's such a great analogy. So thank you for that. That's that's a great piece of advice. Well, do you have any music therapy related news or projects that you'd like to share? Um, not anything really going on at this time. Uh, we are actually offer at um, the Bedour Center every um, September, sometimes it's October. Uh, we have a free student music therapy workshop um, and we invite area schools to attend that. But we are welcome to anybody that would like to travel and come to the Bedour Center um, to attend that workshop. It's a really great time. Very cool. It sounds like such an interesting place to work and um, sounds like you're pretty lucky to have gotten that position and they're lucky to have you 
yes, it's really quite fun. It's rewarding for sure. All right. Well, Jody, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I just have to say, I love your accent so much. <laughs> I can't wait to listen back to this and see how Southern I sound. You, because it's... you sound very Southern, <laughs> but it's a good thing. Well, and I remember, oh, well, thank you. yeah, I remember um, meeting you at conference. I think it was, oh gosh, it was quite a while back, maybe in Atlanta yeah. or maybe so. Yeah. Maybe in Atlanta. And um, we had a long, long conversation and afterwards I was like, oh, I need to be friends with that girl because her accent is so fun <laughs> to listen to. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your story. Yes. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to send Jody a message, you can contact her via email jross at badour.org. That's B-A-D-D-O-U-R. There are just eight episodes left of this inaugural season of the podcast, so if you'd like to be a guest, please let me know. Get in touch and find the show notes for this episode at guitarsandgranolabars.com. And while you're there, make sure to sign up for my newsletter. I have some pretty cool things coming your way, and I do not want you to miss them. I'll talk to you again next week. Thank you.